Welcome to Cornerstone, where we are seeing lives changed through the truth of God's Word and the love of God's people. We're glad you've joined us. Today, we'll be hearing from our lead pastor, Daniel Ostendorf. Listen in and be encouraged as we spend some time in God's Word together. It's always good to be together. Our heart is that Christ would not only be magnified in us, but in us as a church body. And we're spending two weeks kind of looking at who has God called us to be and how are we living that out faithfully as a church. Yo, excuse me for just a second. My wife will kill me if she sees I left my name tag on. So give me one second. There we go. All right. Thank you for letting me honor my wife in that way. Uh, All right. It's been a great week. It's so good to be together. Home teams kicked off last weekend. They kicked off Friday, and they kick off today. So I hope you're plugged in. If not, uh, we got a chance today to sign up for those, and I'll talk more about those in a second. It was really good. Um, Wednesday night, I got to join the men's Bible study, and it was so sweet. I tell you, as a pastor, to get to be a part of something other people have planned and other people are leading, and just to get to listen was a sweet gift. Um, So I have a great group of of men across the spectrum who have been walking with the Lord for a long time and a short time, and it's a sweet time together. Well, it's a season of kickoffs, and I wanted to give you an update on one specific kickoff. As you know, Hope Christian Community School is now meeting at our property three days a week. Told you about that, I think, back in July, and then they kicked off three weeks ago. So I wanted to give you a bit of a glimpse into how that's going, because you might be curious. Um, I want to do that through telling you a couple of stories. One story I want to tell you about the kind of staff that are part of the school. Last Wednesday, our first week of home team kickoff, uh, the assistant director, Katie Boudreau, after everything was done on Wednesday, pulled out the mop and mopped the entire first floor of the building. Because she said, this is your first midweek. I want it to go really, really well. And I love that that's the kind of people we're partnering with, who love us so well that they're going to go above and beyond to care for us in this building. I want to give you another glimpse into how they care for us well. Uh, This might be a, this is to our shame as staff, but they have done a better job of remembering the staff's birthdays than the staff have done of remembering their own birthdays. They've come up to Christina and I several times and say, hey, isn't Kristen's birthday today? What is she like? And we're like, no, 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 it can't be today. It's got to be next week. And she's like, no, it was that day. Uh, so we have, you know, they're loving us super well. The other thing is we partnered with them because of a similar vision, right? The love of God's people and the truth of God's word. So I wanted to give you a glimpse into how that's happening. About six weeks ago, eight weeks ago, I, I was on campus and a, and a mom carrying a little boy and two little boys falling behind her just looked worn out. And so she comes up and I introduce myself and get a little bit of her story. She's a mom who lives in Greatwood. She's a mom of three boys under six, and she is tired. She's incredibly tired. She's like, I heard there was a preschool, and so I'm here to check it out. So she came in that day looking like a beat-down mom who had just had three little boys under six for a summer. Saw her this week as she was walking down the hallway to drop off her kids, and there was a freshness and a brightness to her step. And I said, hey, how's it going? And she just lit up, and she said, it's going great. The boys are loving it, and I'm loving them a little bit better now as a result as well. So it was really good to get to connect with her. On top of that, my family got to experience the sweetness of the school. Um, Lauren is now going to be helping out with uh, youth on Wednesday night, so she's going to attend the Wednesday morning women's Bible study. So Aaron and Hannah, our two youngest, a four-year-old and a seven-year-old, went to the preschool program on Wednesday. 
I said, Dad, I was a little nervous. They're not used to sitting in the classroom. They're not used to new friends and all that. So I asked them Wednesday night after uh, midweek. I said, so guys, how'd it go? Kind of expecting, oh, nobody played with me. Oh, I don't like it. It was boring. Both of them, the biggest smile spread across their face. And they said, it was the best thing ever. And so I just love that. I love that three days out of the week, 80 to 90 kids are here getting loved on, experiencing the love of God's people and the truth of his word. So church, thanks for stepping out in faith. This has not come without its challenges, but I am excited for what God's doing and what he's going to do. All right, well, let's jump into the text for today. As I mentioned last week, oh, you should know a couple of things. Um, last week, as good as it was, I got home and then from, uh, in the period of 30 seconds, went from zero to a full-blown ear infection in 30 minutes. Um, and then over the course of the week, got a double ear infection. So my head is super foggy this morning, and it has the whole week as I've prepped for the sermon. So just a caveat, hopefully I don't say anything wrong. Please get your tomatoes and your eggs ready if I have any heresy, um, but hopefully. I'm just a little out of it, and I'm also controlling the slides this morning. So a double, ooh, we'll see how this goes. All right, so here we go. Last week we talked about how we would never pull our church together. If you and I were to sit down and say, okay, we're going to plan what Cornerstone Community Church's community looks like, we would never bring in a family from Nigeria and a, a family from uh, Venezuela and a family from Michigan and an a MK from Kenya and then a bunch of people from across Houston and say, oh, this is the group that's going to work well together. Let's pull them together for a church. No, if you looked at our church, you'd be like, this doesn't make any sense. How did this happen? And the same is true for Jesus and his disciples. If you think about the 12 disciples, they never should have worked well together. We have a bunch of fishermen. We have a tax collector, right, the government man. We have a zealot who specifically hates the government men. We have several small independent business owners. And if you've known any independent business owners, you know they're pretty independent. We have a thief and an embezzler in Judas Iscariot. And we have the student of John the Baptist of another rabbi in Philip. And that's just what we know. And we, we don't know the stories of all the, the apostles. The 12 disciples never should have worked together. It never should have worked out, just like our church. And yet it did because of who they were following. And it does because of who we're following. This week, as I was heading to Greek class on Thursday night, three hours of Greek, it's edge of your seat excitement. If you haven't done it, you need to sign up. We have an exam next week. Pray for us. Um, so as I, was, as I was hitting there in the car, I was listening to Lauren Daigle's new album. I think it's called Kaleidoscope. She has a song on it called To Know Me, and I wanted to share a few of the lyrics with you. Here's what she says. To know when I cry, to know why I cry every time I see a sunset, to know why I smile at all the things I can't forget, to know why my heart may take a while to mend, to know me, you would have to know my friend. The entire theme of the song is to understand who I am and how I'm wired and how I respond. You have to know Jesus because he's changed me so profoundly. I, I appreciate and engage the world in a completely different way to, to because of him. But in order to know me, you have to know him. Church, in order for it to make sense that we're together here worshiping, you have to know Jesus. And my heart is that as a church, we would be the kind of church that people would say, man, I, I don't understand. How do you guys get together and worship? How do you do what you do? And my heart would be that our response would be, to know us, you have to know our Savior, our Lord, and our Redeemer, who lets us call him friend. Would you join me in a word of prayer as we get ready to jump into the word? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for today. You know that my brain is still kind of foggy and cloudy this morning. And so I just, I lift up this time together. Uh, Holy Spirit, I pray that you, through your gracious goodness, would not only guide my words, but protect my words from saying anything I shouldn't. I thank you that you are alive in those who are following you in this room. 
So I pray that you would guide their hearts and and their minds towards truth as well. Lord, I, I know I'm an imperfect vessel. Help me to do it as faithfully as I can. Share your word and teach it as faithfully as I can this morning. But Lord, I thank you that I'm not on my own. Thank you that you're here. Father, I also thank you for the incredible community that's in this room. Lord, I thank you that I get to know brothers and sisters who I never would have known were it not for you. Lord, I thank you for the gift of the church, and in particular, this small portion of it that we get to call home. Pray that you'd grow us and edify us and equip us to be more faithful as a church community today through the teaching of your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, last week, if you were with us, you know that we are kind of in this course of looking at who we are and what God's called us to and how we're living that out. So last week, we looked at Cornerstone and church, the bookends of our name, and we talked about how the Cornerstone is Christ, and he is building his church. It's not something we orchestrate. And then we looked at the logo. And so just a quick recap for those of you who weren't here. We looked at Ephesians 2, uh, 18 through 22 last week. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Here's my first apology of the hour. I forgot the next slide. So if you have your Bible with you, but I do have it in my notes. So um, I will read. Ah, I just lost. I don't know what I did. Deb, can you save me? There we go. Oh. Ah. <laughs> go ahead, Deb. I'll stop moving. I'll stop pushing buttons. <laughs> there we go. I got the rest of my notes. So here we go. Um, Picking up in 21. All right. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So we've used Ephesians these two weeks to kind of be our grounding. And the reason we do that is Ephesians is focused on what is the church. Uh, Paul, in this letter to the church at Ephesus, is, is wrestling and kind of shouting at this church in, in passionate plea God has united you as Jew and Gentile. Live in that unity, don't be divided. Be the church that God has called you to be. So last week we looked at the fact that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. And what does that mean for us as a church? It means that Jesus is where we start. He is the finish line we are pursuing. And he is the focus of everything in between. As our logo reminds us, he is not only where we start. He sets the boundaries for everything we do as a church. He is the one building us together. He is the one growing us up into himself. Everything begins with him and ends with him. And he is everything in between. So then we remind ourselves last week that the church is not this building. It is not the name on our, our sign out front. It's not a cross. It's not even what we do. The church is this people that, God, that Christ is building uh, together. Founded in him, through faith in him alone, he is building his church. And the beauty of this church is it's not just Cornerstone Community Bible Church. It's 6701 FM 762. We are a small portion of the global church. And not only are we a small portion of the church that is existent today, we are part of the church that has always been existent. That there are those who have died before us that are part of the church, and there are those who will come after us. And guess what? There is an eternity where we get to worship with that whole group. And that's going to be a beautiful day as we catch a glimpse of what the church is. So our logo reminds us that not only is Christ our foundation, our boundary, he is the one who's bringing us together. He is uniting us, and that was some of our key takeaways from last week. So this week, we're going to look at these middle two. We've framed the context, right? We've gotten our bookends. So today, we're going to look at what does it mean to be a community that God's called us to be? Why do we have Bible in our name? And what are those two little shapes in our logo all about? To tip my hand to you today, the the key takeaway today is that God has placed us together to be equipped for work that will grow us 
individually and as a church, more into Christ, more into who he wants us to be. And that we are equipped through the truth of his word and the love of his people. Today we're going to be looking at Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. So if you want to begin making your way there, we'll be there in a second. There's Bibles at the back window and the back table if you need one. I want to do one more, kind of show you my cards uh, before I move on. Last week after first sermon or second sermon, I just had somebody come to me like, Hey Daniel, I know a sales pitch when I've heard one. What are you setting us up for? Like, is this two weeks to lead to, like, a capital campaign? Is this, like, two weeks to, like, what's the big ask? Like, I mean, I've been to a car sales lot. I know what car salesmen do. So I want to tell you, there's really two goals that I have for these two weeks. Here's—if I accomplish nothing else in these two weeks, these are my hearts. One, I know things are changing. Partly they're changing because I'm making intentional choices to do things slightly different. But honestly, a lot of things are changing just because I don't know how things were done. I wasn't here for 20 years. And so I make choices thinking I'm doing what we've always done, and I haven't. And I know that for some of you, that's made you a little nervous. Like, are we still the same church we've always been? There's this new guy. He's doing things new and different. So part of my heart for these two weeks is just to affirm my commitment to the core call that God gave us, that we will always pursue the same thing he called us to 20 years ago. So that's one. I want to reassure those of you getting a little nervous, maybe, about this new guy. The other half of it is I truly believe we will be the church God wants us to be when everybody's in the game. We're going to look at that today. So my other goal is to get you out of the seat and into the game of ministry. If I can accomplish those two things, that's my goal. So there is no capital campaign, just so you know. There is no big ask coming next week. This is it. Reassure you that we're on the same mission and to call you into what God's doing here. All right. Well, with that, let me give you a bit of context of the passage for today. All right. Paul has been writing this letter to the church at Ephesus, and he's been writing about a mystery. And the mystery in the context of this letter is the mystery of how Christ could bring together Jew and Gentile, two people that don't fit together, two people that come from very different backgrounds, two people who would look at each other and say, we don't fit, like we're not supposed to be here. And and Paul tells us throughout this letter, like I am here to boldly proclaim the mystery of what Christ has done. You're right, this doesn't make sense. It is a mystery apart from Christ. And so Paul writes about the adoption of the Gentiles into the family of God. And, and this is a key part of Paul's ministry throughout all of his letters. This letter focuses on intentionally, but you'll see it throughout his work and his missionary journey. At the end of chapter 3, what we saw was that Paul said a prayer for these believers in the, in the churches in Ephesus about the work that God was doing among them, that they would be united in and through Christ. And just to hit home this spirit and this focus of unity among these believers, he begins chapter 4, hammering home that you are brought together in one body, through one spirit, with one hope, with one Lord, with one faith, with one baptism, with one God and Father of all. At the heart of this letter is Peter, sorry, Paul, sorry, Paul crying out, you are one church. You may not look like it. People may look at you and say you don't fit together. You are together because of Christ. As we'll see here today, we are united in Christ, but we get in our own way a lot of times. And our disunity comes through our pride and our preferences, even though the reality is we've been united through Christ Jesus. All right, well, let's pick up in verse 11 of chapter 4. Here we go. It's our text for today. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, 
by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Oh, sorry. This is one of those great long verses in the Greek, right? We think about the old, like, English authors, and they wrote these ridiculously long verses, and you're like, why? This is one of those. This is one sentence in the Greek. But we don't write like this anymore, so I'm going to give you a very short sentence that I think sums up most of this. Here we go. We are equipped to work for growth. It's not a pretty sentence. I'm not even sure it's a grammatically correct sentence, but hopefully it will help you today remember what Paul's doing in this passage. So let's unpack it. First of all, we are equipped. Notice in the passage in verses 11 and 12, who does this equipping? And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for works of ministry. Let's walk through this list, right? It's not necessarily familiar to all of us. So who are the apostles? Well, they were commissioned messengers, those who were directly commissioned by Christ to take his message to the world. Think of the disciples and think of Paul on the road to Damascus. These would be accurately considered our apostles. Prophets then were spokespersons for God. They brought a message directly from the Lord, either about what was happening or what was about to happen. We see this in the Old Testament. We see some of it in the early years of the New Testament, but we don't see a lot of it anymore because God has given us his revelation in Scripture. We don't see prophets as much after the first couple centuries. Evangelists, these are the proclaimers of the gospel, those who take the gospel to the ends of the earth. We might call these missionaries. That's who these are. Evangelists have an important role in the church as well. And then lastly, we have shepherds. This is literally the word for where we get pastor from. These are those who care for sheep in a pasture, those who care for and protect the church and the people of God. At Cornerstone, this is our elders. Our elders are shepherds. They are pastors here. This also includes our pastoral staff. We together have been given the task of caring for you and guiding you as shepherds. And then lastly, teachers, that is expounders of the Scripture, those who teach God's Word faithfully. This is those elders who teach. This is my primary role as one of our pastors. This is where I function. Most of my time is spent on the teaching part of the church in addition to leading our staff and providing and setting overall direction for the church and serving as part of the pastors or the shepherds at Cornerstone. In the Greek, just so you know, shepherds and teachers here are uniquely sort of allied close to each other, and we do see a lot of overlap between these roles, especially here at Cornerstone. And so for us, we're going to focus in on these. This passage gets lived out because God has equipped our church with teachers and with shepherds. I want you to notice, though, that these individuals are not self-appointed. They are given by God for the edification of the church. So stop real quickly and think about just one more element, one more facet of God's goodness. God has sent his son to save us. That son not only has saved us as our cornerstone and our salvation, but then he is actively at work building us together and then as he builds us together, he's not put boundaries on and say, okay, figure it out. No, he's, he's actively sending coaches into the game to say, here's how you live as the church of God. These teachers, these pastors, these shepherds, these evangelists are gifts from the Lord to the church. 
I'm so thankful for the shepherds and teachers that God's brought here. If you've not gotten to know our elders, they're incredible. Spend time with them. They love you dearly, and they love the Lord even more. If you've benefited from our men's Bible studies or our women's Bible studies or adult Bible fellowship, you know the teachers God has blessed us with. And one of the great blessings of my position is I get to see the people that God's bringing in. Those of you who are new that have gifts of shepherding and teaching, I'm excited to see what God might do down the road through you. And then in the text, we'll notice that what's the role of these apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, and shepherds? Well, it's to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Note right away that this is all of us. The work of ministry is not just the teachers and the shepherds and the evangelists. It's actually every single one of you in this room. Every single person who comes to saving faith in Christ and is built in the church is called to the work of ministry. Yes, like a good team, there are coaches, there are tutors, there are those who help us train to be more effective, and, and that's part of my role is to help equip you all to be for the work of ministry. But every single one of us have been called into the game to get off the bench and to play. And we're here to help equip you. So what does equip here in the Greek mean? It's the Greek word kartaritismos. It means to prepare or train with a, a specific goal in mind, a specific end in mind, And in the context of these verses, what are we equipped for? What are we training for as a church? Did you catch it? It's that we might be united in our trust, that is our faith, and our knowledge of Jesus Christ and the fullness of him. It's an incredibly practical training with an incredibly beautiful goal, that we would be united through faith and knowledge of Jesus Christ and the fullness of all that he is. In one of the commentaries this week, it said this, and this is a warning to me and just a a call out for myself and our elders and our pastors. This is what they said. They said, it's not enough for church leaders to perform their pastoral duties. They're responsible to the Lord to get lay people participating in that work. They do this by teaching them how to minister to one another more effectively. And so that's part of the goal, right? That's part of the goal of discipleship. That's part of the goal of leadership training is to get you guys to equip to effectively minister. But it's also a part of Sunday morning. Sunday morning is not just to check the box. Oh, I went to church. I heard the sermon. I did the worship. It's to equip you. Do you think about So my kids have just started sports. <clears throat> Aubrey's just started basketball. She spends two hours from 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. on Wednesday morning and on Friday morning. And on top of that, she will play games. My four-year-old and my seven-year-old are playing soccer out here, so they spend 45 minutes in practice and 45 minutes in a game every weekend. But when we come to church, for some reason, our culture has decided, eh, the best sermon is a 20-minute sermon. Get me out before I get bored. Get me out before I check out. Get me out so I can check the box. That's not us here. You may wonder, why does this guy talk so much? Like, it's not because I love my own voice. It's because I take our time here so seriously. You have taken the time to get dressed. You've gotten your car, spent money on gas to be here. And my call is to equip you. I can't equip you in 20 minutes in an effective way to go live the rest of the week out there in the world. So we're going to spend 40 minutes each week diving into God's word because the call is to equip you for faithfulness. When you think about how much time we spend at school or in business development or in leadership development at work or or in sports, the time we spend being equipped as followers of Christ it's probably significantly less than what we spend in all those areas. So this will always be a priority for us. I simply couldn't do what God's called me to do and feel like I've faithfully done it in sound bites 
rather than in meals. I want to stop real quickly to tell you a story about how important this time has been throughout the history of the church. Back in the 17, 1700s, 18th century, there was a gentleman named Robert Rakes. It was about the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, and parents are going off to work, and, and kids are left at home, and there's not quite organized schools yet, so kids aren't learning to read or to write, and they're just kind of all over the place. And Robert Rakes sees this need, and he says, okay, well, I'm not going to start school, but man, we come together on Sundays. What if we could use Sundays to teach kids to read and write, and on top of that, equip them with the knowledge of God's Word? You might call it Sunday school, actually. Robert Rakes started Sunday schools. He's the founder of the Sunday school movement in the 1700s. Today, we still hold Sunday school on Sunday mornings for our kids, not because they need to read and write. They do that during the week, but because we want to equip them to faithfully follow Christ. And the same is true for each one of you. So Christ is a cornerstone. Christ is building his church together. He has given coaches and mentors into the, the, the middle of his church to help teach, to care, and to equip us for a specific work. And that's the next part we see here. We are equipped to work, the work of ministry. And who does the work of ministry just so you didn't miss it? The saints do. All of you do. You are called into the work of ministry. The acts of service towards one another that glorify God and call people to know him better and to trust him more. The truth is that the church is an all-play team sport. It's not just a sport for the ministers or the professional staff or those who just really like to lead. It's actually for each and every one of you. I uh, try to keep an eye out on research on churches just to sort of say, okay, Lord, what can I learn from it? What's helpful here? There was a report that came out recently on healthy churches, and and they said what we find is in healthy churches, minimum 45% of the people who attend regularly on Sunday mornings are engaged beyond Sunday mornings in a Bible study and serving in some way in a, a small group or a home team. And it makes sense, right? If Paul's saying here in this letter, that the work of ministry is all of us. We have to get in the ministry, both for our growth and the edification of one another. So one of my goals is I would love to stand up here on a Sunday morning and look out and be like, yep, one out of every two of you are plugged in in some way beyond Sunday morning. Not because it's a check the box for me, but because I know you will grow when you're plugged in. And not only will you grow, those next to you will grow and be edified by your investment. And so once a year, we do the ministry fair in the lobby, and we do ministry guides, not to check a box, but because we want to get you in the game. The work of ministry is yours, not ours. And we're here to equip you for it, and we're here to give you opportunities. And so today, if you're not connected to the grounds crew or hospitality or ushers or children's or a home team or a Bible study, I want to get you plugged in. Now, I don't want to overwhelm you. I, I, I don't, there's no one in this room who I want to check all three of those boxes. I don't think that's wise in our day and age for you to do everything we could possibly do here. But I want all of you to be involved in at least one area because I know you will grow and we will be better for it. Well, the flip side, of course, of a healthy church is an unhealthy church, and we're seeing a lot of that in our day and age. Let me give you a glimpse into that. You probably have heard the phrase, at normal churches, 20% of the people do... 80% of the work, right? It's a pretty normal, actually, in the church. And unfortunately, as a result, those 20% who do 80% of the work burn out. And we see people walking away from the church. On top of that, and I think I've shared this statistic before, pastoral burnout rate right now, those who are actively involved in professional ministry, 1,500 of them are leaving the church and the ministry every month because they're burning out. 
The church has forgotten this passage. We've thought the work of ministry is for the people who get paid to do ministry. We've forgotten that the work of ministry is for every single follower of Christ. And that the pastors and the ministers are just there to help equip us to do the work of ministry. And so pastors are getting burned out left and right. i got to tell you a couple of stories just to brag on our church because if I'm honest, my tendency is to be a workaholic. If I did not have a healthy family who reigns me in, I would work all the time. I love working. I enjoy it. Why would I stop? Because it's healthy to stop. It's good not to do everything. So I have a great wife who kind of calls me out and stuff. But I also have a great fellow group of believers here. And yesterday I got a text from one saying, I'm concerned, Daniel, you're doing too much. Let's talk. I'm, I'm excited. Like, I love that my elders and shepherds are watching me to say, hey, let's talk. Let me give you an example, though, from December. So in December, right, we're here. We're, we're doing Q&A on Saturday so you guys can get to know me and I can share a bit of my heart with you. And we go through the two Q&A sessions upstairs in the worship center. And I remember we're, we've, everybody's left. We're at the end of the second session. And I'm looking around the room, and there's tables and chairs still set up. And I know Iglesia Biblica Cornerstone is going to meet the next day. And I know someone's going to have to come in there and set up the chairs, but I don't know who. Nobody's there yet. And so we start moving chairs. I start moving chairs because that's what I do. I just jump in and do it. And Jeff Pauly, God bless him. I love that man. He said, hey, Daniel, there's somebody whose job that is, and it's not yours. It was a great reminder, right? That, that this is an effective place because we're all in the game, not because a few of us are doing all the work. So this is a place where we don't want to burn you out, but we do want you in the court. We want you on the field. We need you on the field for us to be the place that God's called us to be. All right, so we are equipped to work for what? For growth, for our own growth, for the growth of each other and the growth of God's church. Let's take a look at what this looks like in Ephesians 4, 12 through 13. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Gosh, isn't that what we want? Isn't that who we want to be as individuals? Isn't that who we want to be as a church? To be a body that is building one another up and built up. I don't know if you've ever been told this in your entire life. You have a strategic and critical role for building up God's church. And he needs you. He's planned on you being in the game. And he needs you to be a part of it. He wants you to be a part of it. Not only that, what are we building up towards? We're building up to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. We've got to work for unity. Unity will not come naturally. My predecessor, Brent Burkhart, one of the things I really admire about him is he knew that. He knew we had to fight for unity. So one of his favorite phrases, Favorite phrases, you guys can quote it for those of you who've been here, is good and godly people disagree. Right? We, over preferences and over pride, will divide easily, even though Christ has united us. So Peter, or Paul says that part of the work we have to do is to work for our unity, to fight for it. And, and how do we gain unity? We gain unity by putting our trust, our faith, in, our, in Jesus Christ, the one we've come to know. The word faith here is more accurately described as trust. We're trusting in Jesus Christ. The word for knowledge here is this relational knowledge. We've come to know him beyond head knowledge to a relationship through one another. And that's where unity comes from. We have to work to maintain peace. And the way we do that is getting to know our Savior. And by directing and pointing each other to trust him, not ourselves. And what's the outcome here? That that we would grow into mature manhood, womanhood, adulthood in the faith. 
Man, I desire that for every single one of you. I, I have some believers who I've known in my life who are passionate for the Lord, but they are immature. And it's a sad thing because they just kind of wander. I want you to be mature believers of Jesus Christ. But you know what's really startling about this passage, both for the original readers and for us? This is not individual maturity. We know what that looks like. I can look at my kids and tell you what I hope for Aaron to become, and I can tell you what I hope for Aubrey to grow up into. But this is a group maturing. What does it look like for my family to mature as a family? In fact, what Paul's calling us to here is that we as a church should mature. We should, as a group, grow up. I wonder, back in April, we had a bunch of people come back who had, who had gone away from the church. God called them somewhere else, but they came back to celebrate God's goodness to Brent and, and God's provision for us coming. And I wonder what they thought. Do they come here and say, man, Cornerstone Community Bible Church is more mature now than when I was here? I think about Allie and Luke. I point over here because they were sitting here this morning. Luke and Allie are moving to Arizona. When they come back in five years, what would they say of us? Is Cornerstone Community Bible Church a more mature church in Christ over the last five years? I sure hope so. I don't know about you guys, but I've seen immature churches, and there are hard places to be. My parents right now are in a church in South Carolina that is struggling because of its immaturity. And the church is really having a hard time holding it together because they're just not making good choices from leadership down through the people. So I want to be a church. Paul desires for us to be a church that matures into full uh, manhood or adulthood in the faith. And we do this through the fullness of Jesus Christ. What does this mean? It, there's a lot in this phrase, and we can't unpack it this morning, but I want to show you one example of what I think he means here. It goes back to his prayer at the end of Ephesians 3. Here's what he says about the idea of fullness. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and in the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You may be filled with all the fullness of God. They may comprehend the, the length and the breadth and the height and the depth of the love of Christ. That's where we want to get, right? We want to be a community of believers who knows Christ in such a way that we've grasped the breadth and the height and the length and the depth of God's love for us. The other thing that comes out of this passage and the one we're looking at today is that this knowledge we're called to is not intellectual knowledge. We are a really smart group of people. It's kind of intimidating, actually, to get ready for Sunday sermons, knowing you guys are going to be sitting out in the crowd, because you're a really smart bunch. But what Paul is writing to the Ephesians is not intellectual knowledge. It's knowledge that knows Jesus as Savior and Lord. Church, I want us to know God's Word intellectually, but even more, I want us to know Christ personally. So what are the benefits? If, they, if we become this kind of church, here's what Paul says we will benefit from. He says that so that you may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. But rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part's working properly, makes the body grow so it builds itself up in love. 
Church, I want us to be church and individuals who are not tossed around by the doctrines and, and the human cunning and the craftiness and the deceitful schemes, both of the world out there and if we're honest of our own hearts. We can deceive ourselves all day long in our hearts if we're not fixed on Christ and the truth of God's word. The image of being tossed about here is one from the, the sea of, a, she, of a ship being tossed by a storm, and Paul's readers would have understood it very, very well. In a few weeks, as we wrap up our second Peter study, Peter also understood this, and his desire, as my desire is for you, is that we would be grounded and anchored in truth. Here's what Peter tells his readers at the end of his letter. It's not on the screen. I apologize for this. He says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Church, may we be a church that grows and, and lives in faithful trust and knowledge of who Jesus Christ is as our Savior, as our Lord, as our God and our Redeemer. May we be a church that then as a result of knowing who Christ is speaks the truth in love. Don't miss this. These are really important words from the end of our passage today. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Moment worth pausing here on this idea of speaking the truth in love. It's not an accident that Paul puts these two together here. Because some of us in this room are really good at speaking the truth. We're really good at speaking the truth of God's word or, or the truth of what God has revealed to people. But it may be really hard for them to think we love them or care about them because if, if we're honest, we actually just care about speaking the truth. We don't really love them genuinely. We don't desire their good. The other side, and here's where I fall, this is where my sin is and where I have to work, is sometimes we fail to speak the truth because we want people to know we love them. My wife is great at doing both of these together. If you ever have a conversation with Lauren, she will call you out and call you up and you will love her more because she does it lovingly. If I try to call you up, I sometimes fail at the love part. More often than not, I love you and I fail to call you up. We've got to do both. We've got to call you up to the truth of God's word, and we've got to make sure people know we desperately love and care for them. As one commentary put it this week, truth is the element in which we are to live, to move, and to have our being, but truth must be inseparably married to love. Good tidings spoken harshly are not good tidings. The charm of the message is destroyed by the discordant spirit of the messenger. So we speak truth with a genuine care, concern, and love for other people. Check my time. All right, I've got, I've got time for one more story. Yesterday, I'm, I'm working on the, the sermon, and I get a text message from one of our elders. And he said, hey, can I be open and honest with you for a second? And I text back, absolutely, always. He said, I'm really worried about you. Seriously, I'm really worried about you being too busy. In that moment, what I love is I got truth and I got love. Here was an elder who loved me enough to say, hey, I'm, too, I'm worried about you, but tell me the truth I also needed to hear. That's the kind of elders we have. That's the kind of people we want to be, that we know each other well enough and we love each other well enough to say, I love you and I see you and you need to hear this truth. So as we do this, as we speak the truth in love, as we follow Christ faithfully and, and call each other to put our, our faith in him and, and grow in our knowledge and our relational experience, our, our understanding of who he is as our Savior, 
Notice the text says we will grow up in every way into Christ. The Christ who has joined us together and holds us together. And this sentence gets weird, right? Because it's one whole Greek sentence. And in English, we don't know how to put all these phrases together. It's weird for us. But the, the heart here at 15 and 16 is that it's Christ. He is the head. He is the one joining us together. He is the, the joints. He is the one that's, that's doing the work as we seek to faithfully follow after him. As we seek to do the work of ministry, he's called each and every one of us to. God will grow us up into the church he desires for us to be. Church, that's what we want, isn't it? Don't you want to come to church every week and, and get to know this community and go to home teams knowing that we are a church that loves better today than we did yesterday? We are a church that will call each other the truth more faithfully today than we did yesterday and that we will do all that as we pursue Christ. God has united us and is uniting us in and through Jesus Christ as a community of Christ followers. We have been equipped and are being equipped to work for growth, but we've got to work and we get to be a part of the growth. And both of those are beautiful things. Well, as our passage reminds us today, and we remember in our name, Cornerstone Community Bible Church, this name was not by accident, and it's a great reminder of who we're called to be. Built on the cornerstone, the church being put together by Jesus Christ, may we always be a community of those who love well, founded on the truth of God's word. As we look at our logo, may we always remember that we are founded on Jesus Christ, the church he is building, and that he's called us to two things, to speak the truth in love. That the truth of God's word changes lives and the love of his people is what he's using to grow his church into what he desires for it to be. That's who we're called to be. And as long as I'm able to the best of my ability, that's who I will call us to be. To live on the truth of what Jesus Christ has done and what he is doing in our call to be a part of that. As part of my research this week, I came across this quote, and I, I wanted to share it with you because it was one of those ones that just made me stop and ponder and give thanks to the Lord. It's written in 1909. I'm a historian, so I love old things that have present meaning and present significance. So here we go. The church has been defined as an institution that has truth for its nourishment, love for its atmosphere, and Christ for its head. That would be my heart for us as Cornerstone that we would have truth as our nourishment, God's word would nourish us. That the atmosphere that when you come and you experience would be one of love, that we're all actively working to love each other in truth. And that Christ would forever and always be our focus in our head. And so we seek to live this out in specific ways here. Here's how we live this out. The truth of God's word, we seek to equip you as for the, for the work of ministry through sermons on Sunday mornings, through Bible studies and an adult Bible fellowship. There's other ways, right? There's, there's uh, is it CBS, Michael? Is that the other one? There's CBS, there's BSF. There's all sorts of ways to be equipped through the truth of God's word. These are just a few ways we do it here. And I, you're here this morning, so get actively plugged into these that you might be equipped. And then we actively seek to love people well through home teams, through ministry teams, through outreach, and through special events. We know the truth of God's word changes lives because it's changed ours. It calls for repentance. It equips the saints for ministry. We know the love of God's people changes lives. It calls the lost to him by showing them something different. In order to know me, you have to know my friend. And so we seek to live these out faithfully here at Cornerstone. Today after the service, there'll be three tables out in the lobby. If you've not signed up yet for a home team, it's not too late. My home team will be meeting at four. We'd love to have you join us today. 
But there's home teams that kick off today and this week. There's ministry teams that get plugged into, and there's adult Bible fellowship and Bible studies. Get plugged in, church. Get off the bench. Get off the sidelines if, you, if you've been staying there, thinking that this game was supposed to be played by other people. You are called to the field for the work of ministry. And we want to faithfully equip you to do that. All right, my last aside for the day. Yeah, we're going on time. Okay, my last aside for the day. My la- um, if you had asked me 15 years ago, hey, Daniel, would you serve in kids' ministry? This was pre-Lauren, right? I was a single guy at this point. I would have looked at you and run the other way. Kids were super scary. I don't know why. They just were. I just had never spent much time around them. I remember holding Luke, my, my uh, first nephew, my oldest sister's son. And as cute as he was and as great as it was to be there just a couple days after his birth, he cried the entire time because I was terrified and he knew it. He knew I had no idea what I was doing. And then Lauren came into my life, and, and Lauren loved kids, and she's great with them. And she said, hey, why don't you come serve in kids' ministry with me? And all of a sudden, what was really intimidating got a little less intimidating. And I served with her, and I figured out, okay, they're not nearly as scary as I thought they were. And now I love serving in kids' ministry. Truth is, for some of you to get off the bench and onto the field, you've got some hurdles to overcome, some things that scare you, some things that feel pretty intimidating. And one of the ways that we can help you get off the bench in the field is to get to let you do it with loved ones. Sometimes it's with a spouse, sometimes it's a best friend. So I want to just give you a glimpse. We, across the ministries, we'll try to do that, but let me give you a glimpse of three areas. You can do ministry as a couple or as a family. Before I do that, there's one more story I want to tell you. If you can't relate to, this is scary, maybe you can relate to this story. Maybe you are like most of us, and you spend most of your week away from your family. You spend 40, 50, 60 hours your week between drive time and, and time in the office away from your family. Unfortunately, that's the unhealthy nature of our world today. Thank you, Industrial Revolution, and the end of the farming agricultural age. We have lots of benefits. One of the downsides is we don't spend time together, doing things together. And so then I stand up here and I say, hey, on top of all that, get involved, get off the court, get plugged in, do more things. And you might be sitting there and be like, look, I'm already doing a lot. I'm already away from my wife and my kids. I don't want to be away from my wife and my kids even more. I see the good in it, but man, the cost is high. So maybe that's you. Maybe it's not so much I'm scared. Maybe it's like, it's just a hard sacrifice. So let me give you a couple of ways in which you could serve with your spouse or with your family and not give up more time. One option would be, if you've been here to the first service, is on our hospitality team. I don't know if you've noticed, the Megs family. If you know Roberta and James, they're both driven. They're very busy. And James was like, I do not want to give up one more Sunday morning where we're not together. So guess who will greet you at the door on Sunday morning? Roberta Meggs, James Meggs, and their three kids. Because guess what? Three kids can hold the door open, and they can say, welcome to church. So James decided this is going to be a family thing. We're doing this together. Yesterday, my, my family uh, in between soccer games was like, all right, we got home team tomorrow. So guess what? It was a family work of ministry as we cleaned the house to host people. Now, my kids didn't see it that way. But Lauren and I did. Like, we were doing it together, Right? So that's that. And the other thing is we've had some people say, "Mm, should husband and wife really be serving together in children's ministry? I know it comes with a little bit of a risk, but the payoffs are much greater. For husbands and wives to get to serve together and share the good news of the gospel with kids is a huge win. I won't ask you to raise hands, but if I asked the men in this room who serve in kids' ministry, would you do it without your wife? I would, well, actually, if I had you raise your hand and say, do you serve in women's ministry? And then how many of you would do it without your wife? Hands would drop. You wives are great for us. You're our comfort spot with kids. So I want you to serve together, and I want you to hear my heart there. And another heart that you need to hear is I want you to be plugged in where God's gifted you. So as you visit home teams, visit different home teams. Don't feel stuck in a ministry 
or in a home team. We just want to get you plugged in. We want to get you on the field. All right, I ad-libbed too long, so my iPad turned off. All right, well, that's the end. The thing I want to remind us today from Ephesians 4, God is equipping us to work for growth, both our own and the growth of the church. We need you off the bench and in the game. And if you're not there, you need to be. I would love to see 45% or more of our church, I would love to see everyone in our church involved in some way that they might grow. All right, join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. You know my brain is foggy and cloudy from double ear infections and all that, and yet it is so good to be with your people. So good to open your word and, and be reminded of the incredible good news, God, of not only what you have done for us in Christ and Christ, what you are doing amongst us and through us and with us, but then, God, it's incredibly humbling that the one who spoke the universe into existence, the one who could do it all, calls us into the game. And, Lord, you've built it for us to be involved in the work of ministry. So, Lord, I pray that Cornerstone Community Bible Church would always be a place where the truth of your word and the love of your people changes lives because we are faithfully living out our call to be equipped to work for the growth that you would have for us. Father, a key part of today has been the importance of knowing Jesus Christ, and that's where this all begins. So, Father, I just, I know that there's people in this room who are still trying to figure out who you are and if they want to follow you, they're still wrestling with that. And, Lord, I would be remiss this morning not to invite them to put their faith and their trust in you. So if you're here with us this morning and, and you've been trying to figure out this Christian thing and you've been resistant to follow Christ, Gosh, on the other side of Christ is new life and this incredible thing of being united in him and the church. So if this morning you're ready to follow Christ, would you just, I want to encourage you to place your faith in him. You can do that through lots of ways. But just repeating this prayer after me is one way to trust him. So if you want to, pray with me this morning. Dear Jesus, I recognize that not only are you God, but you are my Savior that you died for my sins on the cross, that I might not only be restored to God, but I might be given new life in you. Today I place my faith and my trust in you, that I might come to know you in the fullness of Christ, that I can jump into this game in, onto the field of your church being built up by you. So today I confess my sin that separated me from you, and I place my trust and my faith in you alone, as the one who has redeemed me before God and, and the one who's uniting me into the church. If you prayed that this morning, I, I encourage you to just come talk to me. Let me know. Heavenly Father, wherever we are in this room, we thank you that we are a church. I pray that you would continue to build us up, that we would glorify you in all that we do. pray all these things in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thanks again for spending some time with us today. For further information about today's podcast or our church in general, please visit us at cornerstonecbc.org. That's cornerstonecbc.org. Thanks. See you next time.